Acts chapter number one. Do you want to say thank you? There's been a handful of people that have come up to me and mentioned they've been praying for me, specifically with some health, recent health issues, a diagnosis of cancer and subsequent operation. And um, it seems like from my last scan that uh, all the cancer has been uh, removed. So thank the Lord for that. And so still maybe has some follow-up work to do with that. And that will will be one of the factors that kind of play into the next chapter of our lives here in, in, in ministry. And so thank you for praying for us. Thank you for your faithful uh, support as well, prayer support for the, for the work and for us and your financial support as well. What you saw in this video tonight is fruit that will abound to your account. Through your missions giving, not just us, but other missionaries able to reproduce churches in other places around this world and in other countries. And so I uh, just want to say thank you. Thank you for that. <clears throat> we'll be in Acts chapter 1 here shortly. By way of introduction, for every person, unless you're alive for the rapture, uh, but barring the rapture, each and every one of us, uh, for each and every one of us, there will be a last meal, uh, there'll be a last breath, and we'll have a last statement. And in some ways, what we say at the end of our life is a real insight into uh, what we were in this life and what we stood for and what we indeed lived for. Before he was hanged, for spying on the British, the last words of American patriot Nathan Hale were, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. On his deathbed, Alexander the Great, um, the wife of Alexander the Great had asked him, Who is going to rule in your place? His dying words were, The strongest. Voltaire was a prominent atheist. He once said, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand will destroy the edifice that took 12 apostles to rear. Obviously, Voltaire was less than successful. A nurse who attended him on his deathbed was reported to have said, for all the wealth in Europe, I would not see another atheist die. The physician waiting up with Voltaire at his death said that he cried out in utter desperation. He said, I am abandoned by God and by man. He said to the doctor, I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months of life. What a difference faith in Christ makes. Amen. William Carey, the great missionary to India, said his dying words were, When I am gone, speak less of Dr. Carey and more of Dr. Carey's Savior. D.L. Moody on his deathbed was reportedly to have said, I see earth receding and heaven is opening. God is calling me. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, was reported to have said, I am still in the land of the living, but I shall be, or I'm, I'm, in, I'm still in the land of the dying, but I shall be in the land of the living soon. Now, what could be more important than the last words of the greatest figure of human history? 
Here in Acts chapter 1, it's been 40 days since Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. He is assembled with his disciples. He has invested three years into these men. These are his last few moments on earth. What would he say? What would be his last words? Well, here in Acts chapter 1, in verse number 6, we read, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This evening I'd like to spend... A few minutes, the title is The Last Words of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be assembled here tonight. Thank you for this church, the testimony of this church. Thank you for their support of, of, of many missionaries. And um, I just pray that you would meet with us this week in a special way. Father, as it's already been prayed, we pray that you would... Uh, reach down and, and call someone uh, out uh, of this assembly to, to, to full-time service. We, we, we even pray, Father, that there's someone here that is not saved, that you would use the Word of God and convict them of their need to be saved and to convince them of, of their situation and that in your timing that they would repent and, and, and be, be saved. Father, may we all have throughout this conference the attitude of the psalmist who said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, if there's any sin in our life, if there's any, anything that's blocking, clogging the communication channel between our heart and yours, I pray, Father, that you'd reveal that sin in our heart, to reveal it to us so that we could repent and get right with you and that we would be in a place that we could, could hear from you. I, I pray for this church. I pray for the pastor and his family. And, and I just pray that um, you would empower this church to continue being the lighthouse and the testimony and already sent out missionaries out of this church. And Father, we, we're so thankful that for that and praise you for that. But, but Father, our heart's desires, would you do it again? Would you do it again? You've done it already. Would you do it again? And I just pray that everything that's said and done throughout this conference would be to the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Adoniram Judson was asked, what influenced him the most in taking the gospel to the unreached? Judson replied that it was the last command of Jesus Christ. And that is found here in Acts chapter 1 in verse 8. He says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. Notice the order there. It's Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost part of the world. Did the church that Jesus Christ started, did this church obey his command? Well, let's start in Jerusalem. And if you flip over uh, to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, you're familiar with the day of Pentecost. In verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Then you go to Acts chapter 4 and verse number 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. We went from 3,000 now to 5,000. And then in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 14. They stopped when measuring in the thousands. Now it's, and the believers were the more added, uh, chapter 5, verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes of uh, both of men and women. Now it's multitudes. And then in Acts chapter 6, in verse number 1, it says, and in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, I think that church reached Jerusalem, right? Amen. From 3,000 to 5,000 to multitudes to, to, to multiplication. What about the next? So from Jerusalem unto Judea and Samaria. What about Judea? And, well, in Acts chapter 8, page forward, Acts chapter 8, we read that, well, let's just say uh, maybe that church had was somewhat inward. Jesus had told them to Judea and Samaria, right, and to the uttermost part of the world. But uh, at this point in Acts chapter 8, they were pretty much just stuck right there in Jerusalem. And so God lovingly sent some persecution along the, uh, to them. And we read in chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout where? The regions of Judea and Samaria, just as what Jesus had commanded them. To, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Uh, did they do it? Well, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, we know, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. So yes, Samaria uh, got the word of God. In uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified in walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So yes, they had reached Jerusalem. And then it was Judea and Samaria. Well, what about the last part? Unto the uttermost part of the world. Well, in time, the gospel made its way to Antioch. And from there, the gospel went into the uttermost parts of the earth. And churches were established in the faith. In so much that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6... Speaking of the gospel, Paul wrote, which is come unto you as it is in all 
the world, as it is in all the world. The Bible, the New Testament references over 20 churches, uh, either by name or by region. Uh, we find churches as far west as Rome and as far east as Babylon. So did they obey the command of Christ? Yes, they did. And friends, this is the biblical pattern. Churches starting churches. And as the centuries clicked by, history records how scriptural New Testament churches uh, carried out the last words of Jesus Christ. And even until today, until this very hour, scriptural New Testament churches are continuing to reproduce themselves in other communities and financially support missionaries and church planters so that they can carry out the last words of Jesus Christ. And so in our remaining time, I would like to I would like us to look at why even after 2000 years we should still take Christ's last words seriously. And first of all, may I say number 1 that we have a command from Christ. Why should we take this seriously? Because we have a command from Jesus Christ. Look in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This was the night of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24. And in verse number 47, Jesus says, And that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among how many nations? All nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, and in verse number 15, this is either the night of his resurrection or eight days later. Remember, Thomas was not there the night of the resurrection, being assembled with the rest of the disciples. And eight days later, Jesus appeared a second time. So this is either the night of his resurrection uh, or, or eight days later. In, in uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, this is Jesus said, And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And of course, another passage in Matthew chapter 28 that no doubt you are very familiar with. And here at this church, Matthew 28, I would like to point something out. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 11, Okay, verse 16. There we go. I knew it was here somewhere. In verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. So apparently, sometime after the resurrection, they made this appointment at a certain day, or maybe a certain time, and a certain mountain there in Galilee that he was going to meet with them. And of course, what did he say? We refer to this passage of Scripture as... The Great Commission. Uh, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And this is why we understand that this commission was not given to just the 11 disciples uh, as individuals. Because Jesus said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. The disciples are dead. They, they died. And if this commission was given to just the disciples only, then that commission died out with them as well. And some people suggest that this commission was given to every believer. Well, how can every believer, how can one person go into all the world, you had the responsibility then to witness to every single person, evangelize them and baptize them, and, and that's impossible for, for one person to, to do that. But it is possible as a church, and we understand that this commission was given to them as a church, and churches can multiply, churches can be scattered around uh, of the world and and go into all the world and then we we and then back in acts chapter one where we started there's the, the command so we have the the passage in luke and mark was given the night or eight days later uh, after his resurrection at the beginning of his resurrection at the beginning of those 40 days and then somewhere in the middle of those 40 days, somewhere in there, the passage in Matthew chapter 28, where they had this appointment in this mountain in Galilee, uh, was the, the commission to go into all the world was given a second time. And now in Acts chapter 1, just as just minutes, just before he ascended to heaven, we've already read this verse, but in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, well, we know in verse 3, it says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So over these forty days, this is the end of those forty days, he's about to return to his father, he's about to ascend, he gives last instructions to his disciples to do what? Again, in verse number eight, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, the question is, why should we take the last words of Christ seriously? It's because his last command has never been withdrawn. He, he's never rescinded it. This church, Plaque Road Baptist Church, exists because in the past there was a church that took Jesus' last command seriously. And a man and his family um, committed their lives to bring the gospel to this city. Now, history records the spread of Christianity, and we see New Testament churches going into the Dark Ages, and we see New Testament churches coming out of the Dark Ages. In scriptural New Testament churches, churches of Jesus Christ has never ceased to exist. They went through the Dark Ages. Now, coming out of the Dark Ages, some churches were, had become infected with Calvinism. And that Calvinism had stifled the evangelistic zeal 
of fulfilling the Great Commission. That last command of Christ in taking the gospel and planting churches into the uttermost parts of the world. On May 31st, 1792, William Carey preached a sermon at a preacher's conference uh, from the passage of Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 and 3. His title was, Expect Great Things from God, Attempt Great Things for God. And he relayed his vision to plant churches among the Hindus in India. However, the Calvinistic preachers present at that meeting considered Carey to be a fanatic and an embarrassment. One older pastor verbally rebuked him in front of all the other pastors and said, Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your help or mine. Carey's vision to plant the gospel in India provoked controversy, dissension, and much criticism. <laughs> in fact, an act by the British Parliament made it illegal, okay, made it illegal for any missionary work to be done in India without a license from the British East Indies Company. The company already made it very clear that they would not issue any such license. Why? Because they didn't want any missionary affecting their bottom dollar and they're making money. Do you think this large corporation maybe had some politicians paid for and in their hip pocket? And, uh, you know, it just reminds us of what's, you know, it never changes, does it? it? You still see that in our country today, politicians being, well, don't want to get political, but being bought off and paid off by, by bigger companies. So uh, the point is that the first 20 years of Kerry's missionary enterprise in India was actually illegal. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Pastors in William Carey's day that were against taking the gospel to the unreached. But believe it or not, there are independent Baptist pastors today that are against taking the gospel to the unreached in closed countries. Say, how do you know? Because I've had them come and tell me that. I had one pastor that told me that he, right to my face, it is ungodly to do the work of the Lord where it is illegal to be a missionary. Well, Jesus' last command to his church did not give any exception clauses to the Great Commission, did it? He didn't say, go into all the world, except for the ones where you legally can't be there. Uh, he didn't say, go only to the open people groups, to the open countries. He said, all. I, I'm not promoting doing the work of the Lord deceitfully in any way, but God is using people who, using a little creativity, are doing the work of the Lord in countries where, yes, they legally cannot have a missionary visa. I like what one preacher said. He said, there are no unreachables. There's just the unreached. Why should we take the last words of Christ seriously? Well, we have a command from Christ. Second, look in the book of Ezekiel chapter number 3. 
Ezekiel chapter 3. Secondly, we have a conscience to cope with. Ezekiel chapter 3. In verse number 17, God says to the prophet Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet, if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Friends, we have a conscience to live with. God's not going to accept any excuses from believers uh, who are complacent, who are careless or unconcerned towards the unsaved. Notice in verse 19 that the, uh, the conscience of those who warn others of God's coming judgment is eased. It says, that, but thou hast delivered thy soul. They, they will die, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Many Christians can give a number of reasons why they cannot evangelize and make disciples. I, I just don't feel called to. I'm just so busy. I have just so much on my plate right now. You just, you just don't understand. Uh, I just don't have the time to invest in other people. Uh, I just don't know enough Bible. Uh, I just have so many issues of my own. I, I, I got to get my life in order first, and, 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 and then I'll be available to do that. Friends, as convincing as maybe some of these excuses sound, Jesus' command does not come with Exception clauses. He doesn't tell us to follow him unless we're busy. He doesn't call us to make disciples unless we feel prepared. And by the way, we can be prepared. And your pastor will help you be prepared. It's uh, more of an issue of the heart of wanting to. And if it was important to you, you would make the time to do it and to get prepared. How long was Preacher Silcox pastoring Bible Baptist, roughly? Yeah. A after he retired, he, he moved to Fargo Baptist Church, and he was in evangelism for uh, a few years, and then he took over the Bible Institute. And I had just recently been saved and just started going to Bible college there. And he was my main instructor. And I, I remember one time, he, he started talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And he just paused. And he says, I'm really nervous about that. And I'm just a young Christian. And I thought, wow, he'd pastored for so long. He'd sent out missionaries. They started churches. They've... they've uh, um, you know, in evangelism, they, he's led many people to Christ. He's teaching Bible college, and I just didn't understand that. You know, now, at that time, I, I, I thought that was odd for him to say. But 25 years later in my life, I can say I'm, I'm nervous about the judgment seat of Christ. 
Romans 14, 12. I, I'm not sure if we, if the average church member can really grasp, really understand and think about one day we will stand before God. Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Not of your church. It's not just the pastor that's going to do this. Every one of us will give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10, that we all shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I just think about that time when I will be there and those piercing eyes of judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And he'll see everything that I've done, whether it's wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, precious stones. And I'm, I'm nervous about that day. I, I've already asked God if I can be excused, have an excused absence for that day. And um, as missionaries, we write letters. But let's be honest, there's no one really looking over our shoulders when we're on the field. So... You may say, oh, you've done all this, you know, in Thailand and all this. And, but, um, you know, God really knows my heart, whether it was wood, hay, or stubble, or, you know, gold, silver, precious stones, and just those eyes of fire of judgment being able to, to discern that. And in any ways, I, I um, didn't say that to scare anyone or anything like that, but that's been on my heart lately is... Um, it would help us to check our attitude on wh why we're doing the things that we're doing. And the things that we're doing in our church, is it to be seen of men? Or, you know, look, everybody likes to hear a good job or, you know, well done, you know, but, you know, is that why we do it? Or are we truly doing it for, for Jesus Christ? And um, we have a conscience to cope with. Why should we take the last commands of Christ seriously? Well, we have a command from Christ, and that's never been rescinded. We have a conscience to cope with. Thirdly, we have a Christ to communicate. Look in, look in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter number 1. And just about done here, Galatians chapter number one, and it just seemed to have been removed from my Bible. Here we go, Galatians chapter one, and in verse number 15, Paul writes, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him. Friends, thirdly, we have a Christ to communicate. Why should we take the last words of Christ seriously? We have a command from Christ. We have a conscience to cope with. But thirdly, we have a Christ to communicate. We have a Christ to share. We, we have a person. We don't have a program. We have a relationship, not a religion. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Muhammad and Buddha, Confucius, they're all dead. People often find themselves with questions and doubts and fears and hopelessness in life. They're, they're exhausted, they're frustrated, they're stressed. Friends, for every trial, Jesus is the answer. 
For every question, Jesus is the answer. For every fear, Jesus is the answer. For every situation and for every person, Jesus is the answer. To satisfy every need, Jesus is the answer. When a marriage is falling apart, Jesus is the answer. When hurt and in need of comfort, Jesus is the, is the answer. When, when in need of hope, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is always the answer. He's always enough. Why do we take the last words of Christ seriously in the 21st century? It's because he is the answer to the need of every man. Our world is filled with people who are stressed, frustrated, angry, full of doubt and fears. They're tired. They have problems with money. They have problems with their spouse. They have problems with their children. They have problems in other relationships, problems at work. Friends, Jesus is the answer. He is the one who keeps the whole world together from spinning out of control. And friends, whatever you've been through and whatever you may be experiencing today, Jesus is there for you. Whatever your walk of life may be, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you are missing out on the most important thing in life. And so tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ, there are people here who can help you. And please seek out your pastor. And um, he'd be more than happy to open the Bible and share with you out of the Word of God how you may know him. Well, look in Luke chapter number 9. We have a, why should we take the words of Christ seriously? Well, number one, we have a command from Christ. Secondly, we have a conscience to cope with. Thirdly, we have a Christ to communicate. And finally, we have a cross to carry. Here in Luke chapter 9 and in verse number 23, And he said unto them all, he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. People knew in Jesus' day what it meant to take up a cross. They saw criminals bearing the cross uh, to the place where they were to be executed. Friends, the cross doesn't just mean a hardship to bear in life. The cross is an instrument of death. As, as Paul said, I die daily. The Christian is to die to self daily. William Carey, I mentioned him a few times already tonight, he was subjected to vicious criticism and gossip. He lived under the extreme heat of India and in abject poverty with daily dangers from snakes, crocodiles, and tigers. Not many people know this, but his wife went insane and the last 12 years of her life, she had to be physically restrained. His five-year-old son died of dysentery. Every family member suffered from malaria, dysentery, and other tropical diseases. Their first co-worker, his first co-worker, John Thomas, squandered all their money and bankrupted the mission. And it was seven years before he had his first convert. Adoniram Judson, America's first missionary, endured debilitating tropical diseases and imprisonment. He lost children to disease as well. He labored for seven years before his first Buddhist convert. His wife, Ann Judson, died on the field at the ripe old age of 36 years old. In fact, many missionary wives in the 19th century died young. Hudson Taylor's wife died in childbirth at 33. William Carey buried two wives in India. 
Judson lost two wives to disease in Burma. David Livingston buried his wife. Johann Krupp, missionary to East Africa, lost his wife and both children within months of arriving on the field. The average life expectancy of a missionary in Africa that, at that time was eight years. And during the 19th century, when it meant a certain early death, there was no shortage of missionary volunteers. And sad to say that now, through medical advancement, these diseases which used to kill can now be cured and be treated. And yet there's a tremendous shortage of laborers, isn't there? Would God raise up men like Alexander McKay, who went to Uganda when at the age of 27 years old wrote the following? He said, I want to remind the committee that within six months they will probably hear that one of us is dead. When that news comes, do not be cast down, but send someone else to immediately take the vacant place. Within three months, one was murdered. Two had given up. Another contracted a fever. Within two more year, or within another year, two more had been killed. And within two more years, McKay was the only one of eight missionaries left in Uganda. He survived a total of 12 years and died of malaria at 40 years old. Friends, today, in the 20, in 2021, there have never been so many incredible opportunities for missionary work worldwide. And yet there are thousands of harvest fields waiting for laborers. The harvest has never just felt so large, and yet the laborers so frustratingly few. David Brainerd's uh, journal, Missionary to the Native Americans, included this prayer. He said, here am I, send me, send me to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all the comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service and to promote thy kingdom. Friends, the Great Commission is to reach all people groups in all the world and see viable reproducing churches planted among all nations, all tribes, and all tongues. Why should we take the last words of Christ seriously? Because the job's not done yet, is it? There are still over 7,000 unreached people groups. There are still over 4,000 languages without a single verse of Scripture. Why should we take the last commands of Christ seriously? Well, we have a command from Christ, and it's never been rescinded. We have a conscience to cope with. Third, we have a Christ to communicate. And fourth, we have a cross to carry. Let's make his last command our first priority. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us to take the last words of your son seriously, individually, in our own personal evangelism, in reaching people, in our own communities, where we're at in our place of employment, in eight neighborhoods, but also as a church, as this church, to take your last command seriously. Again, we, we know this church has sent out church planters and missionaries, and we just pray, Father, that you'd continue to do it again and, and again. We ask your blessings to be upon your word now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.